0: Thank y'all. Thank you for the wonderful music. Good morning and uh, happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. Uh, we are almost to the 2021 Summer Olympics. Now, all kinds of news are breaking concerning the Olympics and this year post-pandemic. And uh, there is craziness abounding around the Olympics as there is so many of our lives with all the different things going on. And when you look back through Olympic history, there have been some incredible moments. One of the most fascinating moments occurred in Mexico City in 1968. A small diminutive uh, marathoner from the little nation of Tanzania by the name of John Stephen Aacquarry set out to represent his tiny nation. They had sent him there, and uh, he arrived. He had five days to prepare. He had already come in, and what he felt like was peak shape. but I guess along the way he he underestimated altitude, sea level, humidity, climate there were a number of factors and throughout that middle portion of the marathon, a quarry began his body to fade away. And he got what we call, I don't know if this is the national term for it, but he got what we call uh, something uh, referred to as a Charlie horse. And it was one of those that really knotted up right in the middle of the marathon. Now, now you know anything in track and field, even if it's something, a race that lasts two plus hours, Seconds and minutes are crucial in those races. And so he fell to his knees. As he fell to his knees, one of his knees was slightly dislocated. And Aquari for just a few moments there thought in stunned athletic life, can I continue? And so someone out of the crowd handed him a rag, (laughs) which... Uh, he began to wrap around his knee, made some type of bandage with it, and somehow grabbed a cup of water and got up and began to walk and limp and then eventually began to run on. And when the race ended, a little over two hours, the gold medalist, those top three, and then the others, there was still one runner on the course. And in the 1968 Olympics, You got it an hour and two minutes after the winner crossed the finish line. Again, I say an hour and two minutes after the winner crossed the finish line. Aquari finished the race. To much of the amazement of Olympic Village and all the things that went on in post race, interviews. One of the statements that Aquari made, and it has resonated with people around the world, he simply said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And in that moment, it sensed, we all did, Is you look back at those video clips of years gone by, it, it just appeared that a took the whole nation of Tanzania on his shoulders. And there are a few of those rare moments in our Bible where people come along and it, it appears that they take the whole nation, for instance, the whole nation of Israel on their shoulders. And today, what has been described to me as a devotional time I notice how Josh does that in the little clip that he gives me. Pastor, today's a devotional time, you have 15 minutes. I'm gonna ask you to hurry up and head over to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number one. Because we have there what I just wanna share with you in a devotional thought, I emphasize that. In a devotional thought, a man that I believe and I think you believe as well, many of you do, that have studied his life, for just a few moments, took the whole nation of Israel and he placed it upon their shoulders, his shoulders, and carried it. It it, it was as if he was saying, look, God didn't send me to planet Earth for the simple reason to start this race, but God sent me to planet Earth because my nation wants me to finish this race. And with that in mind we know that in the book of Nehemiah, we have this incredible call on the life of a man by the name of Nehemiah. And he's, he's really a, a nothing. Well, not a nothing. He certainly has a really good government job as Nehemiah opens up. He's a cupbearer. That means he has an excellent life insurance policy because he tastes and tests everything for the king before the king even drinks it or eats it, smells it. Uh, any of the senses that come along, any dangerous kind of things. The cupbearer is the one that took care of those types of responsibilities to take care of his king. But we know that he heard devastating news about the children of Israel. They had returned from bondage. They had turned from Babylonian exile. And as they did, when they came back, the Bible tells us that a very sacred city a city that a few hundred years after this needed to be restored because the pending Savior was on his way. They just didn't know it. The Savior that would walk the streets of Jerusalem, the Savior that would be hung up and strung there on a cross in Jerusalem. And so there was so much at stake. But as so often is the case when we think about longevity and history, no one knew at that moment what an inspiring concept what a really that I want to mention to you today a burden what a what an incredible call on a man's life to say I, I need to leave the comfort of the palace and I need to go put the very nation upon my shoulders. And as you and I gather around family and friends today and many of us for tomorrow, as I guess our nation officially, whatever that means, celebrates our independence tomorrow. But as as, as we do so, I just wanted to toss out this picture to you of you and I maybe being willing to accept the burden of doing whatever we can to put our nation upon our own shoulders. And in the book of Nehemiah in chapter number one, the Bible tells us of, uh, makes an incredible statement. In fact, go down to verse number three. The Bible said, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back and the, provi- uh, the uh, province in, is in great trouble and it's in disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem, well, it's broken down. And its gates, well, they've been burned. Really, really an a overstatement here, wasn't it? Typically, when things are burned, they are burned with fire. And there it is. Verse number four, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Can we just think for a moment about this God-given burden that Nehemiah received? Again, out of the comfort of the palace to the rescuing, to the discomfort of the people. And this past week, that just resonated in my heart how that burdened all started. It started out of a level of concern. So many of us have a high level of concern for our nation today. And that burden as it starts moves at some point from concern to a call. If you'll just glance over there, Nehemiah 12, one of the most incredible statements in the entire book of Nehemiah is in chapter 2 and verse 12, where it simply uses this phrase, Nehemiah, as he went out to survey and began to get started on the process of the work that God had called him, mentioned and uttered this phrase. He said, what my God had put in my heart to do. Do you see it there in verse 12 in the second chapter? It's an incredible statement. Nehemiah acknowledges that God put the very call, this burden in his heart. And that's how the burden started. And oftentimes the burden, and after it starts, begins to see certain things, see things in terms of reality, You know, nothing can be improved upon, nothing can be changed, no impact can be made until someone stops and realizes that improvement needs to be made, that something is dysfunctional, that something is irregular or wrong, or something needs to be addressed. And so often, we are like that illustration of the frog in the temperature of the boiling water that gradually gets hotter and hotter. And before you know it, the frog boils to death. But he's lured into believing that there's nothing wrong. And even though we live in one of the greatest nations in all the world, it really throughout any history, unparalleled that any democracy has ever survived this long. We know there are certain things in our nation that must be addressed and they've got to be addressed by the burden of the people, people that are called to action, people that start with a call and a concern, and then they they morph into the very reality. This past week, I was moved once again by Patrick Henry's incredible statement. He said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not on religionists but by Christians. Not on religions, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that this very man, Nehemiah, felt a responsibility. He saw the reality of what needed to be done, and he responded. There was a sense of responsibility. I don't know how you feel about church signs, um, billboards, those kind of things. The other day, I was on my way to a small city near this location. And I passed by a church, not of our denomination, but another church. And on their church sign, they had something that just kind of resonated with me. On their church sign this past week, they said, if you want God to bless America, stop legitimizing sin. And I read that. And like so many other drivers, I'm sure, I just went on by. But a few miles down the road, I began to mull that very sign over in my heart, in my mind. There's so much for us to do as Americans. We have so far to go in America. And the only way that things can be improved and turned around in a direction the direction of our founding fathers, the direction that our biblical authority place uh, place us under as followers of Christ is if you and I see the reality of the things that need to be done and take the responsibility to fulfill those. And so Nehemiah had that incredible call on his life, that sense of God-given burden, but he also had this holy ambition And the Bible says he did some things in verse four. Look back at it. He he wept. Not just a small cry, but evidently the Bible says this went on for days. He even mourned. He fasted. He prayed before the God of heaven. This very concept of being called turned into a holy ambition for him. And really, when we think about the whole, whole scenario here, the walls of Jerusalem that were torn down really were a physical reflection of a spiritual condition, weren't they? They really represented a nation that was in shambles, a nation that had just come back out of captivity it was a restatement of what Moses warned the people about before they wandered. It was a restatement of what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 25, 11, where he had already prophesied, the whole country will become a desolate wasteland and you will become for the king of Babylon for 70 years, nothing more than servants. And with that fulfilled, Nehemiah set out on a mission a mission that was really anchored in the fact that God's name had been dishonored and there was a brokenness that had fallen across the people. And so when we see in verse four, it's not about how great the cupbearer war it was. It wasn't about how God had had equipped him, but it was about his heart for a broken people. You know, when you read chapter one, and you think about Nehemiah beginning to weep, it's easy for us to think that he's weeping for the homeland. But my friends, he's not weeping for a piece of geography. When you look at verse 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, you see a series out of what he's praying to God of verses that do everything from repentance. He not only uh, repents for himself, but repents for the people that he's going to serve, but he also calls upon God and acknowledges the authority and might of God. And it becomes apparent that he's not weeping for a set of stones in a wall, he's not weeping for a geographic location of Jerusalem, he's weeping over the condition of God's chosen people. And what would it be if our burden? Was that, that we went before our God as if the whole nation was on our shoulders crying out to him. Not just in a repenting way for ourselves. How long has it been since you've repented for someone else? And maybe a cry to God of repentance for our nation? as the level of importance of this and what's at stake rises each and every year. I've shared with you before, as a history double major, it's very, I mean, there's so much at stake. Our democracy is on borrowed time. No democracy's ever survived this long in the history of mankind. And if we're not careful, our nation can be lost. We're only one generation away. But that church sign, we sing today about God bless America. But when we hold this in our hands and this Bible in our hearts, how can we ask God to do such a thing? We're asking God to do something that he is not. And so our prayer has got to be that there'll be a change in the heart of Americans. Our God. This burden seems to, in verse 4, encapsulate a movement of Nehemiah right back to the. That burden begins to seek the heart of God. He fasted and he mourned and he asked God's help. I don't know where I should share this with you or not. Do you think I should? Becky's saying don't. (laughs) It frightens me at times, often, that many times I sense what you're thinking. And so as I talk this morning about putting a nation on your shoulders... I sense that many of us fall into this trap of saying, but what can we do? What can a widow woman do? What can a senior adult do? What can a young person do? We are in a nation of millions of people. And I would just suggest to you today that if God, just with your own common sense, If God could take a government official thousands of miles away from a homeland that had no supplies and put such an incredible burden that he was willing to fall on his very knees and began to weep with that call of God and evidently a sustained time of preparation with God, looking to the God of heaven. I note that the first thing that he did is said, he answered the call. He didn't say, God, how could I do that? I don't think that the phrase, but God is really in God's vocabulary. Many times when we receive these kind of challenges out of God's word, we quickly use those two, but God, and then we put something on the end of it. But God, I could never teach that. I could never do that. I could never go there. I could never accomplish that. But God, I could, and we could go on and on. But isn't it interesting that when that call came to Nehemiah to put a whole nation on his shoulders, he had no idea how God would supply him. He only trusted that God called him. And so I just, out of a devotional thought, wanna challenge you on this holiday weekend let you and I ask God, God, is this the moment in the time and the place that you've called us to step forward? Are you calling us to put the whole nation on our shoulders? Pray with me this morning. Lord, we thank you for these few moments that we've been able to spend in your word. Father, you've already inspired our hearts with the talent in musicians, some playing their instruments, some using their voices, others that have orchestrated from lights and sound and musically all the things that we're able to participate in that add such a huge level and dimension to our worship. And Father, on this Lord's Day that is marked with the number four, which is symbolic as we do each and every year for us that this is the day that we celebrate our National Independence Day. Father, the themes of freedom, the themes that God sent a group of people to this land to form it and found it and began a nation away from religious persecution for a fresh start and a new beginning a place that we have hoisted a banner of safe haven for hundreds of years where people who have been treated unjustly have been able to come for a safe haven. But Father, we now live in a nation that is really facing perilous times, a nation divided. So Father, would it be from the grassroots of servants of yours that might come and really repent, not only repent on our part, but repent on the nation's part. Father, we know without repentance, there can be no initiation of rebuilding and restoration. We know that repentance is the precursor for anything good that's gonna come in the reestablishment and the reconnection of a viable ongoing relationship With you. And so, Father, today as we pray, as we seek your face, as we seek your direction, would you allow those in America today to feel that call, led by your Holy Spirit, to be the prayer warriors, the citizens, the activists, those that we are being called to be? And, Father, before we offer up any of our excuses, If we sense that call, then would you place in us such a burden and such a responsibility that we would be your servants just as you have called us to be. Father, we thank you today that there were men and women throughout history that felt so strongly about this nation that they gave the ultimate sacrifice for it, their life. And Father, as we celebrate our freedom today, we also celebrate the very freedom that we have in you because your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, also gave the ultimate gift for our spiritual freedom. The overcomer of death, the overcomer of sin, the champion of the very world, the Lord of Lords, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We celebrate America, but we also celebrate our Savior. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.